Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Preparis. Uh, my co-host, Brenna Calvert, will not be joining us this week. This episode is brought to you by Hammer Nutrition. Uh, if you're looking for some great endurance supplements, some protein, or just some general vitamins, check out hammernutrition.com. Uh, use code 240887 at checkout and get 15% off your first order. Also, make sure you check out the Team Strength Speed website. Uh, we just put up a whole bunch of new discount codes in the discount section. So uh, codes like SS10 will get you 10% off an order from RecBag and just put up a discount code for, I believe it's $10 off from of Neptune Performance Products. That's that uh, synthetic shirt with the little heat pads uh, that I've been wearing for Toughest Mudder and World's Toughest Mudder. Uh, so definitely go over there and check that out. Joining me on today's episode is Travis Esterby. Uh, Travis Esterby is a 20-year veteran of the Army. He's run several hundred milers, including the big ones, uh, Leadville 100 and Western States. He also owns the Runner's Hub, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee's only running store. And some upcoming races he's got this year include some ultras, including a 100-mile race and the Army 10-miler. So, Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me, brother. Cool. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you on. You're uh, definitely someone I've looked up to you for a long time. And someone I've known through work, and pretty much any time I start talking about what I do for fun or my hobby, people are like, oh, oh, you know Travis? And it's like, yeah, I know Travis, because not many people run ultra distance. So Yeah, well, I, I get the same thing from the other side. You know, people start talking to me about running or something, and then they're like, hey, do you know Evan? I'm like, yeah, I, I know Evan. So I've <laughs> seen him around a couple times. Like, I see him every, basically every Sunday at my store. Well, at least on the weekend, you you stop by because the the Starbucks is your is your watering hole. I think about mid run, so uh, yeah. So I get to see you pretty much every week. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So I like to use uh, Starbucks as a mid run snack. So I'll run like ten miles uh, from my house to Starbucks, and which is like two doors down from the Runners Hub. Grab a coffee, get some sugar in me, stop by, say hi to you, and then uh, run about ten miles home. Good technique if anyone needs wants to break up their long run. Yeah, it also makes me feel bad, but like if I'm taking that day off and then I see you and you're like, oh, I'm just going to do a 20. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, I guess I got to go run the day too then. So kind of kind of motivates me. Yeah, so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, some ultra running and kind of what that training consists of. Um, we'll talk about a little bit about Travis's time in the military and how that translates into, you know, fitness performance and uh, mental strength for ultra running and kind of the dream that every, I think almost every athlete has of like opening your own business. Um, in Travis's case, it was a running store. So uh, I guess let's start off with just uh, ultra running in general. So for those of people who don't know, uh, tell us about, tell us what Leadville and Western States is and kind of where they rank in the ultra running community. Yeah, so Western States is kind of the the, the Super Bowl of of hundred milers. Um, 
they ju- they actually just had it uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, it basically brings in some of the best uh, uh, best racers from not only this country but really worldwide. Um, everyone's trying to get into it. Um, and then uh, Leadville is is another really big one. Um, it, it starts out at you know ten thousand feet up, and I think you go up when you go up over Hope Pass, you're going about twelve six. So. It's a significant event for uh, for me being a kind of a flatlander in Tennessee, um, not having any altitude to to train in. So um, those are kind of the two big ones I've done. I've done you know quite a few other uh, ultra distance races, but um, those are kind of the two that everyone tries to get into and um, kind of the hard ones to get into as well. And how do those kind of stack up compared to the other ones? Like I know. Um, for like just regular running, Boston marathons, like kind of like the big, the big deal. And, uh, after doing a bunch of marathons, I know when I did Boston, it really delivered on its expectations. Like it was, you know, just everyone there is just an obsessive runner. And it was like 26.2 miles of people lining the street. Um, kind of so, so as far as the atmosphere at Western States and Leadville, and then also like the level of competition, well, level of competition you covered, but then like actual difficulty. Compared to other hundreds. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so as far as like West, Western states, like it lived up to every expectation I had. Um, a lot of things that you know you hear all the hype behind it, and you get there, and you're like, ah, this is it. Um, Western states was was one of those races that it lived up to the hype. I mean, the aid stations were awesome. The uh, I had a pretty large crew, but Every time you came into an aid station, everyone was so supportive. Even the runners, you know, everyone has that the same goal of of, of finishing that thing. And uh, um, but everyone was really supportive. It gets really hot. You start in uh, basically the base of a uh, a ski lift in Squaw Valley, and your first you know four miles are kind of running up that that ski lift, and you. Then you plateau and you're running a lot of the ridge lines and whatnot. I think it's I think it's about eighteen thousand up total and twenty four thousand down. So it's kind of a downhill race, but twenty four thousand down really eats up the quads. But definitely Western states lived up to its expectations. Um, that's one of those ones where if you get into it, go do it. And you know, even if you've done it multiple times, it's one of those things you 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 want to continue to do. And then Leadville, um, the last last few years, they've kind of they've kind of uh, um, tried to do some rebranding. Um, the original guy that put it on, I think he sold the race to some, I think it was like Lifetime Fitness, some, some big or, organization, and uh, they were just letting a ton of people in. So um, the amount of people they were letting in to, you know, the amount of aid stations they had and the amount of stuff they had at the aid stations just it, what, the math wasn't adding up, so they were running out of water. They're doing, you know, so they actually hired the the guy that initially started it um, several years back, and they've they've done some rebranding. So they've um, they've decreased the amount of runners. Um, it's an out and back course, so I was a little hesitant on that, just because it's 50 out, 50 back, and you have all these runners. How crowded is the trail going to be? But um, really, that that didn't uh, didn't bother me at all. I didn't. It wasn't like I was um, constantly around people or, you know, with it just being one single track out and back. I, I didn't feel crowded. 
um, I was still able to, you know, enjoy the course. So do you do you prefer a couple people on the course to kind of like keep you company, or do you would you rather kind of zone out and be on your own just cruising through the woods? Kind of both, man. Like um, in the in the beginning, I because um, I don't run with like headphones or anything. I, I just uh, kind of zone out. You know, I, I like to mix it up. <laughs> Once in a while, you get that like guy that just wants to keep talking and you don't want to talk. So you either gotta hit the gas pedal a little bit, or or if he's hitting the gas pedal, maybe slow down a little bit just to just to kind of um, enjoy enjoy the trails. Because some guys will or, or ladies will they'll talk your ear off, and you're you know in a, in an ultra, it's it's a it's a, a significant hour commitment. So you could be with this guy for two hours, and he's just talking your ear off, and man. So yeah, so you know. Um, once you've been out there a while, though, it's cool to have a little bit of company. But um, I'm kind of that guy that I don't I don't talk too much to uh, to just random people. I'm good for a 15, 20 minute conversation, but when it starts getting an hour or two hours, I'll I'll hammer on the gas a little bit. Yeah, luckily with uh, ultra distance obstacle course racing, typically you're not running with anyone for that long, even if you're running at the same pace, because you'll hit a couple of obstacles and that'll you know, sometimes the guy you're running with will fail, or sometimes you'll fail, and then he has to do the penalty loop. So you end up, like, I, I end up, very rarely am I running with someone for more than, like, 10 minutes, and then they, you know, we end up going different directions for a little bit, so. Yeah, it's cool to meet all sorts of, of different people, and, you know, these some of these races are, are really big, so you meet people throughout the, the whole nation, and, you know, you end up Facebook friends later, so you end up, you know, following them on see what they have coming up and whatnot. It's just once in a while you get that random person that really likes to talk a lot more than you. It's, uh, yeah, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Right on. And how did you do, like, what was your goals going in, and then how did you actually perform at uh, Leadville in Western States? So Leadville was kind of weird for me. Um, I had a lot of, like, work military stuff, so I didn't get to train the way I wanted to train. So Leadville was really, and, and I didn't know what to to expect with the altitude. So Leadville was, was really one of those races that, um, I just wanted to, to get through it. Um, I didn't know how my body was going to react at 10,000 feet. Um, and you know, close to 13,000 feet. So, um, I, I looked at some of kind of my, my regional competition within my region, guys that have done it. And, uh, I looked at their times and kind of, my goal was to, to kind of beat what they were the times that they were putting down, and I I ended up doing that. Um, I think I was 25 hours and something. Um, I was I was in a little bit better shape than that. Um, I got I got kind of sick there at mile 77, 78. I had a hard time keeping anything down. I think it was more altitude sickness stuff. So um, the last 22, I lost a, a, a couple hours there. Um, but all in all, in, in, in Leadville, I definitely achieved the goal. Um, Western States, um, I had like three goals. I was in pretty good shape going into it. So um, a big thing at Western States is going sub-24. Um, it started out as like a, a horse race, and that was like, you know, kind of a big feat if your horse could do it in sub-24. So um, so ultimate goal was, was to finish, obviously. Secondary was sub 24 and then I felt like I was in kind of low 20 hour shape and uh, ended up 
getting it in about 23-something. Um, nice. I was still sub-24, but uh, I, I was in a little bit better shape than the time that I had. You get a, you get a belt buckle for sub-24, right? Is that correct? Yeah, you get a uh, – so there's a couple different categories of, of belt buckles, like a, a silver and, and gold. So sub-24, you'll get that silver belt buckle, um, which I got it hanging up at my store. So all sorts of people can come in and look at it. It's usually a topic of conversation within the store. Yeah, the uh, the belt buckle is notorious in the ultra-running community. I mean, that's like the finisher prize for every – I, th- I mean, I think it started out only as 100s, but occasionally I've seen them for, like, 50 milers or even 50Ks. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll see them for different for different distances now. Um, some people get a little upset about, like, you know, so people that have run 100 milers, like, hey, why are they giving out a, why are they giving out a, a belt buckle for 50 or whatever? I don't, I don't get too wrapped up in, in awards and things like that. Most of my belt buckles are are at the store. They're usually framed and, and put up just so other people can uh, can check them out. But I don't I don't wear them around uh, like I'm a cowboy or anything. <laughs> yeah, if you're not familiar with the ultra running scene, the the belt buckles are usually like gaudy and obnoxious. Like some of them are straight ginormous, you know. Like I mean, you look ridiculous walking around. But then you know, it draws attention. So people are like, oh, what's your giant belt buckle for? You're like. No big deal. I just ran 100 miles a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's like when you go to like kind of like a pre 100 mile miler like race brief. <laughs> you look around and it, it could be like really hot, short weather. People are in like jeans with their belt buckle, and so it's like a rodeo, <laughs> and everyone's like checking each other out, like you know, sizing each other up by their buckles and their shades of color on their buckles so i just go and uh, act like i'm a rookie and and yeah let those guys show off their buckles nice <laughs> so uh a lot of our listeners are obviously obstacle course racers and kind of the big thing is the big thing this year a lot of people have been doing the eight hour toughest mudder and the uh you know training for the 24 hour world's toughest mudder um, which the people in those races, so the winner usually covers around 100 miles, plus or minus 5 miles. Um, but most people's goal is typically around 50 miles. Um, so let's, let's go through, like, what's your, what would be, like, a typical training week for you when you're preparing for uh, a 100-mile race? And then, you, you know, if you had a someone coming into the store and asking about um, – Preparing for a 50-mile race, uh, what, you know, what, what kind of mileage would you recommend for a training for those those people? So my mileage base always stays around 50 to 60 a week. Um, and then also as I get into kind of a uh, usually about a 16-week train-up, um, I'll get to about 100 to 105 miles a week. Depending on what you read, some people are – Say that's too high. Some people, uh, elites go higher than that. I, I base a lot of what I do off of uh, what professional athletes are doing. Um, not that I'm a professional athlete, but if they're doing it and they're a professional athlete, then there's something to be said about that. Um, I do get a lot of people in the store that that want to talk to me about, you know, that ultra distance, just because locally, if people are 
you know, are starting to talk about it. They're like, hey, you should go see Travis up at the store. So they'll come in specifically just to talk to me. Um, I really preach frequency before intensity. Um, and when I say that frequency, the amount of times you run, intensity, how hard you run. So a lot of people, when they just get into running, they want they want to see results quick. And they'll, they'll just start with frequency or they'll start with uh, intensity too fast, and they haven't built up that frequency. So at the end of the day, frequency builds durability. Um, and it's getting somebody into that mindset. And then also just adjusting that pace because um, it is a slower run. And I, I came from a, a little bit faster running background, so it was it was kind of a transition to for me just changing up that gait. You know, I was running, you know, not fast. But in this 16 something for a for a 5k, um, it's not like elite level, but locally it's pretty fast. Um, and then going from that to being comfortable with running 830 miles all day, um, <laughs> it's it's just a, a little bit different in uh, gait cycle. So just kind of transitioning that, I noticed I was getting a lot more sore um, after like a 20 miler at an 8.30 pace compared to a 20-miler at a 7-minute um, mile pace. So, uh, you know, getting your gait used to it, but a newer runner, definitely working on that frequency before you uh, do intensity. And then even if you're roll, running that ultra distance, you can still focus on hard speed workouts just to uh, fine-tune your speed as well. Yeah, I think you hit on some, definitely hit on some great things, uh, one being the consistency is huge. I mean, just preparing your joints and tendons and ligaments and stuff like that for for the pounding, I think, is is just very important. Um, and then the other thing I I kind of like you hit on. So one of my one of my rules for when I'm telling people, you know, how to train for like world's toughest mudder, is my my rule is if if you're going for a mileage goal in one day, uh, you should be able to peak at that point at, at some point during the year. So like if your goal is 50 miles. At World's Toughest Motor or 100 miles, like you should peak at 50 or 100 miles before that because I think I look at it mostly as a psychological thing. Like if you can't run 50 miles in a week, what makes you think you can run 50 miles in a day? Um, and then also on, on top of that, the obviously, like I said before, the ligament and tendon uh, development. And you know, if you just go from not running at all to I'm going to run an ultra marathon, you know, you, you're going to do some damage to your body and probably walk away with a stress fracture someplace. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm under the same mindset. If I'm going to do a, a hundred mile race, then I'm going to do over a hundred miles in a week. Um, and a hundred miles in a week is a pretty, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of running. You gotta, um, and I try to do that all, uh, one a day. Some people will, will kind of beef up their mileage per week by doing two a days, um, which is an easy way to get high mileage, but really in the scheme of it, it's, it's not necessarily building that uh, durability, at least from what I've found. Um, I like to get them all in in one day, usually, uh, you know, six runs in a week, 100 miles, um, kind of that 100 to 110 point. Yeah, I actually, I'll, I'll do the two a days, but I typically will do the longer run in the morning, and then I usually just tack on a couple of additional miles in the evening after my strength training because – being an OCR athlete, right, I need to – I still need to maintain upper body strength. So uh, 
kind of tack a couple miles as the end of my lifting workout to call it a day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the basically, you guys are, are multi-sport athletes, so um, I kind of have the. I mean, I still, I, I with work, I still have to maintain my my strength strength to body weight ratio, and and uh, you know, I can't I can't slouch on that, um, but. Um, you know, you guys have so much more you got to work at it. It's crazy. I a lot of people ask me like, "Hey, why don't you do you know triathlons?" And I'm like, man, I'm I, I have such a competitive mindset that I can barely fit in running. So I was like, you know, until I have enough time to um, to actually focus on three different sports, or you know, even in the obstacle course racing, you know, focus on two two different disciplines, being that you know, that strength discipline and the running discipline. Um, I just don't have time for it now. But it is something that I'm, I'm really interested in. Yeah, the so I've done a, two iron distance triathlons, and the training for that was, like, I felt like all I was doing was cardio literally all day, you know, between swimming, biking, and running. You know, and then, like, biking, like, you can go for an hour run and be like, all right, yeah, that was a solid run. I got some good mileage in. Like, you go for an hour bike, it's like, cool, that's a – that's a good warm up. Like, when do we actually start biking? So, especially biking, yeah. it just it just takes an exponentially large amount of time to get good at, uh, especially if you don't have yeah. a cycling background. And, and the money involved with it. Oh, it's insane. You know, I, I, I kind of like the 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 aspect of running where you know shoes are only going to help you so much. You know, at the end of the day, you you have to train. I feel like that bike, you know, you spend enough on that. That that thing's going to help you out quite a bit. So, um, if I if I spent one tenth of what you know somebody else did on my bike, then they're they're just going to be better than me. Um, they're going to go faster than me. So, um, yeah. So that's that. That was kind of another thing that I, I didn't really like about the sport. I could be totally wrong on that, just because I haven't really dabbled in it. But I. <laughs> I know some people I'm in a little bit better shape than, but on a bike, they can just dominate. And it's not because they bike a lot. It's because they got a lot better bike. Yep. My bike's like a thousand, I think I paid like a thousand five hundred for it from in like 2004. And it's like, it's like bottom of the line triathlon. Like I can show up to a race and not be embarrassed, but that's about it. You know, like, yeah. uh, and I was looking to buy a new bike a couple of years ago, right before I got into OCR and, I was going to buy a $5,000 bike, and it was, like, kind of middle of the line. And that was without all the accessories, right? So, like, that doesn't include the $2,000 wheels that are literally just wheels. Um, so ended up waving off on that because, luckily, I got involved in OCR, which uh, is not the cheapest sport either, but I think it's a lot cheaper than triathlon. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I joke with with my wife all the time, like, I turned running into the most expensive sport ever. <laughs> you figure, you know, like, you know, shoes. I, I got into the sport, and it's like shoes and shorts. And then after that, you're like, all right, shoes, shoes, and I need. I'm running seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. All right, I need. I need 14 pairs of shorts. <laughs> I, I, I'm running, you know, all these miles. I'm going through shoes left and right. I, I usually rotate between two or three shoes. 
got so expensive, man. I had to I had to start my own store up. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you need all the accessories, right? You need the you know the roller, like the stick to roll out the muscles. You need the compression socks to help speed recovery, so you can run faster. You need the supplements yeah. to fuel your training. All that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it definitely gets gets up there in the price. Um, but yeah, so it's but it, it's it's a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun with it, and uh, you know, it's um, something I'm going to continue to do. So I just look at it as an as an investment. Plus, you know. Just on the healthy aspect of it, keeps you so much healthier. Um, being in the army for 20 years, a lot of my peers are uh, not doing as good. see a lot of people. Leave it at that. Some the yeah. After you've been in a while, some people uh, some people definitely let it go. Um, yeah, or they just get broke down. You know, they they true. don't have that durability built up. So. You know, they, so if I go out and do a, a 12 to 15 mile road march tomorrow, I'm going to be fine. I'll probably run later on in the day. Where, you know, some people that don't have that that base built up and that durability, they're not going to be fine, and they'll get through it. You know, they'll they'll get through it. Um, but how are they going to be tomorrow and in the next day? And you know, so I, I just think that the running portion has really built up a a durability for me that really pertains to day-to-day uh, work as well. Yeah, so I'm, I know a little bit more about your, you know, your uh, military service that I'm going to share on this podcast, but I, I know you've been through some very challenging schools and uh, training courses in the Army. So how do you think, and, and obviously you've been through, uh, I mean, it, I don't know how many deployments, but it's a lot, right? It, it, it's, been a, it's been a lot of time overseas. So how do you think, uh, some of that experience has translated into your preparation of fitness and then ultra running in general. So, like the the school aspect of it, there is a there's a level that it does give you kind of a mental toughness edge, um, just because you've brought your body to, to some pretty low points. That once it gets down there again, it's like oh, I've been here before. It's it's nothing new. Um, so I think that gives you an edge, but it doesn't supplement for training. Um, some some people try to live off of their uh, their, their military experience and like, oh, I, I did this, so I, I should be good at this. Um, that that doesn't necessarily equate. Um, I think when things start going really bad for you, you you always have a scenario in your head where you've probably been in a worse scenario. So. Uh, you can you can always refer back to that and be like ah it's not as bad as you know X Y or Z. <laughs> um, so you know I, I do uh, I do refer to, back to that once in a while. But in all honesty, some of this some of the stuff in these hundred milers, man, I I give some of these people a lot or all of them a lot of credit. It's it's uh, you get into some pretty low points. Um, so it's it's amazing what. Um, you know, some older older people are out there, you know, 50, 60 years old, um, just hammering down miles. And, and you know, some of them are really, really good. Um, it's uh, it's crazy that uh, how, how well they do. And I think it has a lot to do with discipline and patience. You know, like some of those guys aren't going to beat some of the people that they're beating at maybe your local 5K. But they're gonna they're gonna 
kind of hang out and they're just going to get a pace and they're going to keep it and they're going to keep it all day where uh I kind of like that aspect of it. Like, there is a future in it for me, you know. I've, I've been in the Army since I was 17, so I'm still pretty young. I'm 37. Um, but, you know, I can see myself doing this in 20 years because there are people that are doing it still, and they're 50, 60 years old, and they do well at it. Um, yeah, definitely. As you age, yeah, as you age, you definitely lose some of that fast twitch muscle fiber, so you can't hit some of those top speeds. But if you maintain it in the the training your endurance can stay for a very long time and you actually continue to improve um so yeah i i, I kind of like that aspect of of running and that's kind of how i got into the ultra distance was i just wasn't as fast as what i was before um and that's there, there's a couple reasons why one the longer you've been in the army you kind of get more responsibility the more responsibility you get the less time you have so um so my time to train kind of goes down and and then just my my foot speed in general. I mean, you don't see people going to the Olympics for the the 1500 that are almost 40. You know, so I mean, it's just it's just how it is. You just get naturally slower. So, um I just found myself being able to compete at a higher level the longer the distance was. Yeah, I know on on one of the uh on one of the training runs me and you went on together. We're talking about what distances we like, and I was like, oh, I like marathons because, like, a fast runner, someone who's just naturally fast can show up and crush a 5K. They can crush a 10K. They can even crush a half marathon. Um, but, like, once you get to the marathon distance, in my opinion, like, unless you've done at least a little bit of marathon-specific work, you're not going to do well. But what was funny was you basically said the same thing back to me, but at the 100 mile. You're like, yeah, you can, like fumble your way through a 50 miler i was like well, you can't really fumble your way through a 100 miler and i was like that seems both of those seem very high uh, <laughs> but i i know you you said you like to turn it on in like the last 25 miles or something of a of a 100 miler because people start breaking down well that's that's where you can make up um kind of you, you can catch a lot of people in the last 25 and that's that's the the goal for me is to really turn it on in the last 25 I don't know how, how well I've mastered it. Um, <laughs> I have been that guy a few times where people are passing me in the last 25. So, the you know, there's there's times where you have a great race. There's times that you have a bad race. And the, the thing I like about the 100-mile the distance is it, it has – it can't be mastered. You know, no matter how, how good of an athlete you are, you're going to have a bad race here and there. Um, no matter how – great a shape you're in no matter how much you train no matter how much you have your nutrition dialed in um you can blow up out there um and you know i i really like the the uh, professional athletes that that stick with it because there'll, there'll be some that just i'm not having the day i want i i'm gonna drop out and you know dnf which for them is no big deal they probably got paid to go out there and, and whatnot but it's cool to see a pro athlete like really just grind it out and say, you know, and I'm probably going to get passed by by the guy that's a banker, you know, that that can only you know get in 60 to 70 miles in a week, and this is what I do as a profession. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it out and finish it. So that that's pretty cool to see as well. I've I've, I've seen them both. I've seen you know pros drop out out because. You know, it just wasn't going their way, and I've seen pros stay in that 
you know, you end up passing. Yeah, I yeah, I, I definitely I understand where they're coming from, you know, like they're getting paid to do it and, you know, maybe if they push through this it may not it'll take a little bit longer to recover so they'll have more trouble at their next race. But at the same time I like that attitude of like I came out here to do something and even if my race is not perfect, I'm still gonna push through it. I remember when I first did my first Ironman triathlon, they had like the race is like dedicated to one of the athletes. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but um, like he, like on the back of the medal is this dude's picture and this dude's name, and he was doing great in the middle of the race and was like, you know, top three, and then I don't know, I guess his race wasn't going the way he wanted, so he ends up like dropping out. So I have like a medal, and the back of the medal has this dude's picture on, it, and all I can think about is like this dude DNF'd, like my first, the first Iron Man, the one that I was like. You know, this is like my big life event at the time, and was like really pushing hard to finish. Um, so, yeah, I've uh, and there's there's kind of two sides to it too. Like, I really like when when people go all out and like just see what the body can do. And sometimes that means them blowing up. And in in these long distance, you know, uh, endurance events, sometimes things just stop working. Um, <laughs> I remember in Western States, I was getting a little bit sick. It was really hot. Um, it's probably close to a hundred degrees and going up this hill and I, I had a pacer with me. I was like, Hey, I need you to stand on, on the left side of me because I can't see right now. And I, well, he's like, what? I'm like, no, seriously, I can't see. <laughs> so I, it went on for like three or four minutes where like my vision was going out, but I kept walking and he just kind of walked between me and this cliff. And uh, then it came back, um, and then I, you know, I was fine. But uh, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I was like, literally, <laughs> my eyes just stopped working. You know, that's how, you know so I, I could see, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want people to push through an injury, or you know, if, if you got a DNF, you got a DNF, because there are times when you know the distance can't be mastered, and at the end of the day, there's your body will <laughs> will stop working in some occasions. But <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I hear that. <laughs> I know uh, my first 100-miler, I did it well, – my, my, actually, my only 100-miler straight running race. I did it like a month after World's Toughest Mudder, which is like a terrible idea, and I don't advise that. Um, it's kind of a long story, but like I was supposed to do World's Toughest Mudder with the team. I knew I wasn't the weakest guy on the team, so I, I was like, all right, well, it'll turn into like a long training run for me because I'm not going to redline my body. And then I got like a couple months before that. My team drops out, so I'm by myself. So I end up, like, you know, pushing as hard as I can, getting my 75 miles. Um, and then I had already signed up for this 100-miler a month later, and I was like, ah, crap. So, <laughs> we had, like, kind of forced my own hand. Uh, so I show up, and the first 75 miles went about as good as they can go. Uh, it was a very flat course, so it was real fast pace. Uh, I did the first uh, 75 miles in 14 hours. And then, like, my internal, like, hip flexor muscles just stopped working, and I limped the last 10 hours to the finish. So it was, like, 75 miles in 14 hours, and then the last 25 miles in 10 hours. So, <laughs> Yeah, I've had some moments like that where, you know, and, and that's, honestly, that last 25 is, is really the tough part. So that's kind of how, when I, when I give people advice is, you know, it doesn't matter who's winning in, in 75. It, it matters, you know, where you're at at, at 100. So if you just have some 
some patience there. Um, you're going to pick a lot of people off in that last 25, especially in at aid stations. People will get really, really comfortable at an aid station, you know, trying to, you know, grab as much fuel as they can. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is, is sit down. I've done, most of my hunters I've done, but I, I didn't sit down one time just because things start locking up and then it, it takes you a while to uh, um, to get everything loosened back up when you start running. And running that distance such is so uncomfortable when you get to a certain point. And once you get yourself comfortable, you don't want to leave that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of people end up DNFing just because they sat down too long and they got too comfortable. And maybe they took a nap, you know. If you're, if you're going to do it, just plan on, plan on being out there for – you know, th- up to whatever the, the cutoff is, 30 hours, I think, as usual. Just plan on being out there for that time and and uh, try to go in well-rested, which is hard because anytime you sleep before a race, you can't really sleep. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a kid going home with a bad report card. You kind of you know what's coming. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> like, oh, I, I know I'm just, uh, things are about to go go bad here in a, in a little bit so you get you get a little nervous about it yeah i always i always say basically the same thing for world's toughest mutter so that we have a, a pit so it's basically like a you know big permanent aid station and uh you know every minute you spend in there that's a minute you're not moving forward on the course right so like as a minute you need to gain on your competitors or make yeah. up to get your mileage goal for the for the event um, yeah and then for the the week leading up uh, I try to basically just sleep as much as possible, and then for the night before the event, I actually so I'll go. To, I usually fall asleep fine, but I usually wake up a couple hours later because my mind is like going crazy. Um, and Hammer Nutrition has these things called like REM caps. It's got like melatonin in it and 5-HTP and some other like sleep type aids. Um, I'll usually you know have two pills of those in the middle of the night to try to knock myself back out, and that helps a little bit. So. Yeah, getting those uh, getting those nerves settled, um, you know, because you got kind of have have that adrenaline flowing, and you know, end of the day, as much as much as you can relax, the better, because the more pumped you are, you're just burning calories. Yeah, I usually try to also, I put on an audio book usually and try to zone out something nice and boring, and that usually puts me to sleep too, it, or takes my mind off of running at least. So yeah. I find that helps. Yeah, you got to find your Got to find your zen, man. Yeah. So I know you've uh, you've run a race in Jordan. I believe it was a marathon, like a desert marathon. Um, let's talk about that before we uh, close it out and talk about the runners hub, your store. Yeah. I, so I, I did it kind of on a whim. Um, I, w- I was running a lot of like shorter distances, so I was, I was in fairly good shape as far as speed goes, and just found out they're having this this uh, uh marathon it was in the middle uh, middle of the desert middle of the night it's kind of kind of crazy um so I, ju- I just did it on a whim um it, it was kind of cool so you you go out in the middle of the desert and you, you park there and they had some tents set tents set up and people from all over the world are out there it's kind of crazy and uh i wasn't prepared at all i had short literally shorts and a pair of running shoes no shirt just that, that was my gear. Um, and it, the course was, uh, it was tiki torches. So 
Um, you were running, there's some like Sandy Roads, but most of it was uh, off roads, like just out in the desert. So the sand got, got pretty thick, and, you know, your shoes are just packed uh, full of sand after, you know, the first mile. I tried, like, taking them out once, and then it was just a lost cause. But the crazy thing is, I was, I was running, and I don't think they they thought I would be where I'd, where I'd be along the course that fast, and uh, they, they didn't have the course set up. So with that, they didn't have water stops set up. So I'm, I'm running along, and I can see the truck ahead of me, and they see me because I got a headlamp on, and they see me. So they're they're, they're like taking off, you know, trying to get these torches set up. And I'm speeding up because I'm trying to catch them because I'm trying to get water. And we obviously speak a different language. So I'm yelling, you know, trying to get them to stop. And, they, and they're, and they like, yelling back, and they're hauling, you know, leaving me in the dust to, to set up the tiki torches so I know where I'm, I'm going next. Because it was basically you're running from tiki torch to tiki torch. And it was, like, one big, huge loop. Um, I think I had, you know, mid mid three hours um, out there running, running through the sand for, for that one. I ended up taking first place, but in, I, I don't want to toot my horn too bad. There wasn't, I don't think there was that great a competition. Um, the next guy was about five hours. Um, but, uh, it, it was a tough course and people ask me all the time cause I don't do a lot of road marathons. Um, actually I, I have never done one unless it's like within a, you know, I just ran, I did like stroll and gym 42 miler a few weeks ago and somewhere within there, I did a marathon on the road, but, um, I'm not really big into the road marathon scene. It's just too crowded for me. You know, the whole rock and roll series is just crazy. So, um, I get the question about, Hey, you ever done a marathon? I've done one in the desert. And, uh, <laughs> this is still a really good PR for, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. It was it, it burnt, burnt my legs out too, just because it was so uneven. So every time you like push off, that sand is giving. So uh, definitely, it was a good uh, quad workout. But I got done with that thing really, really dehydrated. Uh, I think it was a course record for a few years, and then they uh, um, they brought in. Uh, there's a couple really good ultra runners in Jordan, and uh, they do some of the you know big desert events. And uh, I think he he beat my uh, my course record for about like 15 minutes or something. So I know I held it for a few years. Yeah, I know the the production. We get used to like a certain production value in the U.S. because uh, that's just what we're accustomed to. And then you go overseas sometimes, and it's not the same quality. They don't have the same they don't have the same like standards of events. So it's usually I always find it an interesting experience. And I, I know I did a half marathon in Kuwait. It was a road marathon though. And like their, you know, the event shirts, it was just like a black Nike shirt. Like there was no, it didn't say like Kuwait half marathon. It was just like here's a black shirt, and I was like, this is weird. <laughs> you know, like yeah. not what we we're like. I was expecting like a big Kuwait something on there. Um, and then the other thing yeah. that was interesting was, uh, so Kuwait's obviously very conservative still. So there was actually women running in the race, uh, and a lot of them were running in, like essentially black tights, uh, but like full length, so arms covered, legs covered, and then usually like a dress over their uh, legs. And it wasn't oh, wow. it wasn't middle of the summer, but it was like, 
I want to say it was late September or early October, so it was still warm. It was still way, like I was running in a, you know, a singlet and shorts, and if it was socially acceptable, I probably would have been running shirtless, but uh, these women were out there crushing it and, you know, with heads covered and arms covered and legs covered, and I was like, all right. Yeah, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, when I got done, like, uh, you're talking about shirts, like they give you the shirt and it, like, hey, what size? I'm like, oh, I'll take a, a medium. I put it on. It's like a skin suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the sizing's also different. I, I, I have a couple yeah. of those. Or, like, it just yeah. doesn't fit right. Like, there's a lot of, like, extra space yeah. in, like, a random part of the shirt. And you're like, why would my... Yeah, it's like... Yeah, why would my... St- I, don't... <laughs> I don't know why those things fit so different, but I put it on. Like, hey, let me get a large and put that on. Like, hey, we still got ourselves a skin suit. Here. I, ne- I never wore the shirt. But uh, then it was funny, like, my my prize for winning was a uh, round-trip ticket to Sri Lanka. From Jordan, though. Yeah, from Jordan. <laughs> from Jordan. <laughs> like, um, I'm probably good. Probably good huh? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, so before we, before we take off, uh, let's talk about your store a little bit. So Runner's Hub, located in Clarksville, obviously a lot of great uh, products in there. Um, before we give you, like, a plug of all the stuff you guys carry, what – like, what's it like opening your own running store, and what was some of the challenges you faced? Uh, maybe some of the stuff you didn't expect to be challenges, and then it turns out it was. Um, kind of take us through that, because I think we've all, I think everyone's had a dream of, like, hey, I'm going to quit whatever job I currently have and just go, you know, open a gym or a running store or, a, you know, whatever. So. Yeah, so it's, uh, I guess it could be nerve-wracking, because when you start, like, when you start out, and when you start out, the numbers that you're looking at of like, Oh, I got to pay that per you know week or month or whatever. It's, it's, it's numbers that you, you're not used to dealing with. At least I wasn't, you know, I've, I've been in the army for 20 years. We, you know, within our line of work, they pay us well. I, I think, you know, we, uh, we do well. Um, but the numbers <laughs> that I was looking at, you know, initially like bringing in all these different brands and, you know, how much I'm paying out and, you know, you're, you're signing up for, to do this stuff and you don't have a customer yet. So, um, you're just, you're really, really, um, I mean, you just need it to work or else, you know, things aren't going to work out for you. Um, cause you know, you, you just can't get into, into that type of, of debt that's recoverable with, you know, the, my normal army income that's backing it. But, um, Honestly, man, what I, what I did initially was I kind of branded myself locally. So, you know, locally, uh, kind of everyone knew who I was, um, at least within the running scene. So uh, I, I was running a lot of 5 and 10Ks, winning a lot of stuff that's local, you know, attending most of the group runs that were in town, things like that. So I was really making my myself a brand before I even made you know, the, the store brand. So that, that helped out getting, you know, instant customers. And then really, you know, getting feedback from people that aren't your friends. Um, like, hey, what do you think about, you know, uh, me opening a running store to somebody at a group run that doesn't really know me? And then the feedback I was getting was that would be awesome because um, because we we, uh, we don't have one local. So a lot of these people are going up to Nashville um, to, to do this, to, to make simple purchases for, you know, nutrition products or shoes or, you know, whatever. So 
Um, so we definitely had a market void there. Um, yeah, so we've been open for five and a half years. Um, it's done well throughout the five and a half years. It's just um, some of the challenges initially were, were bringing in brands. Um, you know, we got opened with like New Balance and Mizuno pretty fast. Um, but when you start dabbling in some of the bigger brands, Brooks, Asics, Saucony, um, you know, some of those guys, they want you to have a, a building before they'll even talk to you. So you're really, you're really laying it out there. You know, you're signing in a, a lease on a building and you don't have any brands to put in it. And you don't know when you're going to have brands to put in it because uh, they're going to get to you when they can get to you. Um, so, you know, but, you know, and then so you're, you're paying maybe six months worth of rent without even have a store yet. So, yeah, so there's just I think the the uh, setting yourself up financially because we didn't want to we didn't want to take out a big loan to do this. Um, we wanted to kind of self-fund it. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of the nerve wracking part. But uh, um, once once we started rolling with it, um, kind of the, the things that we saw that um, that are challenges once you actually roll is you know, just inventory forecast because you. You know, there could be this new hot shoe that's coming out, but, you know, and a certain brand's telling you that they're going to put all these marketing dollars into it, and you, uh, you, you invest in it, but you don't know how it's going to do. So understanding how, mu- how much to bring in, because um, sometimes you'll bring something in and it won't do well. Sometimes you'll bring something in and it'll do really well. So you want to be able to, uh, you know, give – Everyone that comes to that door, you want them to be able to buy something. So, um, just making sure that you're you're maintaining your your levels of, of inventory to where, you know, someone comes in and you don't have to order them something all the time. Like, uh, they can order stuff offline. So, um, so yeah. And then there's a few things like learning curves for me was like, just because you love it doesn't mean someone else loves it. Um, you know? <laughs> There's a couple brands out there that I was really into, you know, and in into the mountain running stuff. La Sportiva. There's probably not a huge market for La Sportiva in Clarksville, Tennessee. Nah. But I really liked their <laughs> I really liked their shoes at one point. So, you know, so it, it was, you know, a few learning curves of like, hey, just because you love it doesn't mean everyone else is gonna love it. So, um, knowing where to fund your dollars and know where to go heavy, know where to go light. Cool. That's uh, definitely informative, and I'm definitely glad you opened Runner's Hub in Clarksville. So if you're in the Tennessee area or uh, for those of you who are coming down for the Spartan Race, uh, it's actually it's, I think it's called Spartan Race Nashville, but it's actually like Spartan Race Fort Campbell. Uh, Travis's store is located, you know, five, ten minutes from uh, Fort Campbell where the race is being held. So make sure you stop by that. Uh, I believe the race is in late August or early September. I can't remember which one it is. Um, but. Yeah, definitely. Swing by, BS. Um, and that's kind of how we, I mean, the name says it all. That's kind of what we wanted was, you know, just because you, you come in that door, don't don't feel like you have to, to spend your paycheck. You know, you can come hang out, um, whether, you know, you're down at Sp- Starbucks fueling for a, for the other half of your run, 
<laughs> or just want to go, you know, see the latest and greatest and what's out there and uh, kind of the products that we're believing in right now. Stop by. Cool. And then what's on the what's the future for uh, Runner's Hub? So it's kind of cool. Um, we've been open for five and a half years now, and we've uh, my wife and I kind of acknowledge that we've we've plateaued as far as that we can bring it. So uh, we've recently coupled with uh, or partnered with Fleet Feet. So we're going to be coming to Fleet Feet, um, which is really cool. It opens up a lot of stuff on the backside for us. Um, Sarah and I will still own it, run it, um, kind of the same feel of it. It's just there's a, there's a ton of backside support that they can they can give us that really frees up us on the on the front side so we can um, do some different things that we've been wanting to do like training programs and uh, more group runs and you know just really uh, kind of embracing the community a little bit more where uh, we get pretty our, our time gets eaten up a lot with one with me still being in the army and two uh, my wife having to run a lot of the backside stuff within the store so um, partnering up with Fleet Peach give us a, a ton more um, opportunities to do that. Cool. If you could, uh, if you could do it over, do you think um, the way you did it, where you kind of built your own brand first and then partnered with one of the major companies, is better, or uh, like maybe going with the major company first um, and then trying to build out from there? Uh, um, they both have their have their perks. I think I. I learned a lot, a lot just by starting my own business. So um, I was just at Fleet Feet Inc. Uh, last week, kind of doing an orientation and doing different things. And man, if I didn't own my store before I was doing that, I would, I would have been lost. I would, um, you know. And it's, it's. We, we're glad we did it the way we did it. Um, I, I feel like um, it, it was. Financially, it was a way that we could afford, but two, it was, um, I don't know, I just think it it uh, it helped us learn the business a little bit better, because Sarah and I don't have any type of retail background, business background. We literally took a, a doodle on a piece of paper to, you know, what we have now um, in five years, so um, yeah, there's something to be proud of. Out, you know, just starting your own thing from the ground up that, you know, no, nobody helped you with. It was it was funded by by us. Um, you know, so I, 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 I like that aspect of it. Awesome. Well, uh, Travis, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. I know uh, you had some. Uh, you were you're trying to get into another one of the bit another big ultra this year, and I guess that didn't pan out. But uh, if you end up getting back into that one. Sometime in the future, we definitely want you back on the show to talk about that experience. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully I can I gave somebody a, at least one piece of good advice out there. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, before we take off, any final shout-outs you want to give to companies, people, friends, or whatever? Yeah, hey, uh, um, you, like like Evan said, if you're in town, stop by. You can also look us, look us up on uh facebook where the runners hub kind of weird there's there's one that just started in the uk too so you might find two we're the we're the cooler of the two <laughs> clearly but uh yeah like us on facebook also we have a website clarksvillerunnershub.com um and that'll stay like that even after we go to into fleet feet it'll just merge into our fleet feet uh website but uh 
but yeah, man, appreciate you having us and, uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Probably next, next weekend when you're, uh, when you're fueling up. Actually, no, I'm actually, I'm moving, uh, moving in a couple of days. Probably by the time this airs, oh, I'll yeah. already moved. So. Well, someone's going to have to fill your void. Yeah, we'll try to find someone else to, uh, stop by on long, long runs on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, well, uh, with, with work being a small community and then, uh, kind of these endurance events being a, a small community as well. So I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure I'll see you around again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best of luck with your store, Travis. And, uh, again, thanks for coming on. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right, brother. Yeah.